and welcome back to the Film Wheelcast, where we are going to do um, a, a, a Michael Douglas classic. Have, have you ever felt you just had enough of the world, got really annoyed? Um, watch, watch this film for inspiration, I guess, Stu. Hello, mate. How you doing? You all right? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very good. Good stuff. I was uh, accused by one of our listeners of... Uh acting surprised every time you introduced me as if I didn't know I was on the podcast and I went oh hello <laughs> Shit, what am I doing so I'm very well thank you and that was for Steve who's also known as sex toy that I am aware I'm on the podcast and uh, I hope that introduction was satisfying so, so, so you, you work with someone known as a sex toy yeah, because we've all worked with him, and he and he gets passed around a lot, like a sex toy. So um, <laughs> we call him Sex Toy. Oh no! So um, that was for Sex Toy, who said that I always act surprised. You might have a point. You do, but 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 it, I'm not not surprised. Just just happy. Uh, overly I'm happy, happy. I'll say. <laughs> well, not the conversation we've had just uh, no. before we started recording. But no, I'm always happy. I always look forward to doing these films, and. Uh, I don't have any other way to kind of show my happiness apart from saying, hello, mate, how you doing? You all right? Yeah, to be fair, though, uh, I mean, with the conversation we just had, it wouldn't, I mean, you know, all, all the way, it's just a fair, it's a fair journey to work. And I think, had you gone to work today and been in a large traffic jam, you, you might have got out of your car and, and got a bit upset with a few people, I think. I think that was a danger today, had you had I work. Probably, yes, yeah, I probably would have done that, but I have just bought a new car. And uh, I'd be too frightened to leave it just in case someone damaged it. You, so, mean, um, you mean the Honda's gone? No, the Honda's still there. The Honda's still there. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, but no one else would buy it. But I've uh, <laughs> I've purchased a new family car, so uh, it's all good. Seven seats. Children will probably still argue about which seats are sitting, no doubt. I've probably given them too much choice now, but yeah, it's great. So, but... We must go on. So, yeah, as you say, Falling Down, 1993. I went to see this at the cinema uh, with my brother at the time because the trailers to it looked really, really interesting. Yes. Uh, I remember them showing the trailer of like when he went and got the whammy burger and just the fact that it, it was really, really controversial at the time. Um, I don't really know what kind of social and economic climate there was, but it, it really, really did... Uh, it kind of captured a lot of people's imaginations. I mean, the budget was 25 million. It made, I think it made only 40 million at the cinema, but it's made a hell of a lot um, since it's been released on uh, video, DVD, and on like Amazon, things like that. But yeah, it's uh, got a brilliant cast as well. And there's only really four main characters. I mean, you've got Michael Douglas, who um, plays Defense, mm -hmm. um, which is his uh, registration play. You've got Robert Duval, who plays uh, Pendergast. Uh, Barbara Hershey plays Beth, who's his ex-wife, and uh, Rachel Ticotin, who plays Sandra, who's his uh, colleague and very close friend. But yeah, it's it's weird. When I looked at Joel Schumacher, who's a director of this, um, I'd kind of obviously heard of him, but only ever since we started doing the podcast a couple of years, I've started looking at kind of directors and what else they've done in case we do the films. I mean, he did Phone Booth. I didn't know he did Batman Forever. Oh, Batman God, he did. Robin. He did and Batman and Robin. Yeah. Which he, he which did 8mm, he... which is really, really good. Yeah. A bit controversial. Uh, Flatliners, The Lost Boys, and St. Elmo's Fire. He's done he has some real classics, hasn't he? He has. He's done some classics. He's done like, a couple of really bad films. I mean, I mean he single-handedly ruined the Batman franchise for about a decade. 
Um, pretty much. But no, I don't like the old Batman films. So no, I know. No, I mean, Batman and Robin is 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 quite often lauded, and I think even by Empire as one of the worst movies. I think. Which I think. I don't think it's the worst movie ever. I think. I think I've seen worse movies, but I can't. Understand. Is that the one with Mister Freezing, or is that Batman Forever? <laughs> No, that is uh, Mr. Mr. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. Freeze. <laughs> Basically, with his, with his ice puns. Cool off. Yes. But is that, I mean, that's Batman Forever, isn't no, it? No, that's Batman and Robin. Oh, it's Batman and Robin. Yeah, it's got her and a poison ivy in. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. I mean, the kids like that one for some reason. I don't know why. But, um, but yeah, so he's done some really good films. And this film... Um, it's quite, it's quite interesting looking at the the reviews because I, I wondered how many other people reviewed this film and I spoke about it because even though it's back in 93, it's still relevant today, probably more so. And it was interesting to hear what other people's points of view were. And obviously we work in a, a sector where we deal with a lot of kind of stress, aggression, breakdowns um, and things like that. And I found it, especially the domestic side of things, really interesting, getting other people's points of view, okay. where other people were saying, uh, this was mainly on YouTube, um, I won't kind of say who they were, people can go and search for themselves, but a lot of them were saying that they understood how uh, Michael Douglas' character felt, and that Barbara Hershey's character, she was at fault partially because she didn't get uh, with regards to the straining order um, and like the police officers that she didn't give the police officers that much information. And it, what she did tell them wasn't kind of particularly threatening that they thought she was overreacting. And that's why they felt that Michael Douglas probably isn't such a bad character in this, that it's oh. her fault. And I, I found it because obviously we, as I say, we deal with this a lot of the time yes. and you've got, the side of things where I mean we'll go into it more, but the kind of the coercive control, um, even when he says he didn't hit her, but he's obviously got threats of violence, and that's mentioned later on in the film, which we'll go into a bit deeper detail. But I just found it interesting when people reviewed it that they kind of didn't see anything wrong with the domestic side of things because she didn't take out restraining or she took out a restraining order, but she didn't really seem to know much about the details. And that it was kind of more token gesture, and she didn't really feel threatened that much. I mean, that's really interesting you say that because the first, I'd probably say, the first half, two thirds of the film, he's a very sympathetic character, isn't he? Because um, we don't know the full details of everything, and and his character's only first coming out. So when he does, when he does try and call his, um, you know, his other half, and he can't see his kids. I felt the first time I watched it. Um, I felt genuinely quite sorry for him, at least for the first half to two thirds of the film. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it goes along that those lines until you kind of get introduced to other characters and their side of the story and their feelings come across. But it's just this film is so good; it's the like subliminal messaging throughout the film is just absolutely brilliant, and it's only when I watched it. Uh, I just finished watching it today for a second time that when he's talking to different characters about kind of different complications he's got and frustrations in the background, there's like thou shall not kill with pictures of Christ and 
it kind of reflects what's happening in that situation. Um, and it's just so, so clever. It, it's, it's really, really good. If you watch it a couple of times, you'll pick up on it. And I just think it's, it's brilliant that kind of they're so subtle in this, but it, it's just worked so well. It captures the mood and the frustrations of whatever situation that Douglas's character is going through. But yeah, we'll go through that um, as we go along. I mean, the start of this film it is just brilliant. And it's, it starts off with Michael Douglas sitting in a traffic jam. It's a really, really hot day. You got, he's just stuck on the freeway. He's got a bus full of children next to him. He's hot. His air condition is not working. You've got the workman there and you've got delayed signs. And again, you've got the delayed sign, which reflects, you see it on his windscreen as it kind of flickers across. And these are all things that would piss any normal person off. Um, no one likes sitting in traffic, screaming children, the heat, he's got a, a fly in his car that he can't get out. And the handle breaks on his door and it's done so well that there's kind of, he's not talking whatsoever. It's just the look on his face that when you watch it, you feel you kind of share his like feeling of suffocation, don't you? Yeah. Stuck in that car and in that situation. No, you're right. I mean, right, it's right at the beginning of the film. And and, and I know like films from the eighties and nineties normally sometimes have a, like a long credit sequence at the beginning and this doesn't. There's not really much music and it goes straight it goes straight into it. And I think this this is one of the best scenes um in 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 the in the film that you know you know there's nothing nothing said but there's a lot of shots and a lot of reaction shots and everything of of, of traffic and as you're right I think the average person could completely understand why he's getting really really annoyed and on on, on a hot days he doesn't really have aircon it's you know his car's not very good the windows seem to have an issue going down um it all looks very very horrible and interestingly um the way that the way they've packed all the traffic in and look it looks very very claustrophobic as well yeah and the the music appeared to get louder and louder the more angry and frustrated he was getting which added to the feeling of kind of being suffocated and like the claustrophobia of being inside the car yeah and when he reaches the climax of fuck this i've had enough that he opens a door and the music stops and even i felt as if like someone had kind of either got off my chest or opened the window and you kind of share that feeling don't you of like mm. relief that he's out of that situation and it's the fact that it's got no words there's no one's talking and it's just done by the music and it's just the expression of like, the anxiety of michael douglas it's just so so clever i really really do like that intro and he's he says he leaves his car there where it is and he says he's going home and um, his, his number plate um, is Defends, which kind of says a lot about him, really, doesn't it? Do you think that you learn that he works for a, or he did work for a, like a, a military like defence place? Yeah, that, that helps make missiles or something, he said. Because at some point he goes, I helped save the country and everything. And he's been let go of his job for, we don't know 100% the reason, but he makes out because he, he got made redundant because they didn't need him anymore. Yeah, and I wonder whether the defense was for him being a uh, like a patriot, or mm. whether it was because of the company he worked for. Did you put any thought into that? Or... I thought it was him being a patriot because it was a personalized. It looked like I, I don't know American number plates, but it definitely looked like a personalized number plate. Yeah, and it did make me laugh. You get the the light relief come where the the cop comes along, like the highway patrol chips police officer. 
yes. And and he's such a knob, isn't he? That yes, he is. The member of public's there, and Robert Duval, you're introduced to his character, um, who says, we'll move to the car, and none of the cars are moving. And he, he turns around and says, no, it's a really dangerous situation with fast-moving traffic. <laughs> Could you get back in your car? And, and even the guy, that member of public, stands there, and just shrugs his shoulders. <laughs> it's like, well, no one's moving. We haven't moved for hours. And they move the car out of the way, and he, the guy says that he just said, I'm going home, and he leaves. Yeah. And so from there you meet Barbara Hershey and I like Barbara Hershey's character. She, she's not given an awful lot to do, but she comes across in those scenes where it's kind of domestic related as in she, she's really fearful of him. She portrays that really, really well through not a lot of dialogue, doesn't she? She does. She does. And I think for me, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is where the film is very clever. They, 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 they tell you enough to make sure to make a, a fearful, but they don't tell you enough until the film goes on. They they add tidbits throughout, obviously seeing her and stuff. Uh, seeing her, we slowly learn potentially why she's so fearful. Um, and what makes that so good is for me, it doesn't tell you enough information, which keeps obviously defends a very sympathetic character until towards the end. Yes, yeah, and yeah, you're, you're spot on. It kind of does leave you guessing, doesn't it, yeah. with regards to is there going to be a twist in this where she really isn't the kind of victim and he comes across as a victim, but as the, the story goes along and the more more things he commits to of breaking the law, etc., that you realise that he doesn't really have that stop button inside him anymore, does he? That he just no. loses that will. So he goes to, this is defense Douglas's character, um, the, the first sign of the cracks showing is when he goes to a local convenience store, which is run by a, I believe it's a Korean guy, isn't it? Is that right? Yes. And he immediately, he kind of, he's on the defensive where he said, I want some change for the, the phone. He says, we don't do change because you've got to buy something. And that puts him on the back foot straight away. So he picks up a can of Coke and I don't really, I went to America when I was very young, but I think, is it 85 cents or 80 cents or something like that he charges for the can of Coke? Yeah. Um, and that would be what today's, that I'm just looking, I'm I've really guessing no about 60p really, but this is back in 1993. Yeah. And it doesn't give him lot. enough change for no. the phone, does it? If he no. makes that phone call. Uh, so he, he decides to, after a bit of an argument, and he manages to, I think what pisses him off more, you get the impression, is that when he is kind of at the confrontations there and the Korean guy pulls out the baseball bat and they have a bit of a wrestle with it and Douglas manages to grab the baseball bat, that he accuses him really of being a thief, that you can take whatever you want, just don't hurt me. And yeah. that's, I got the impression, rather than the money, which obviously did annoy him, that the fact that he was accused of being a thief seemed to, piss him off more because he's still and throughout this film until he reaches a certain point sees himself as a law-abiding citizen doesn't he yes he does yeah so um, he, he sorry, sorry carry on Stu. no i have to say so he he kind of goes off the rails and decides to i mean i did write it down he, he decides to take it back to 1965 and uh have a rollback on the prices doesn't he which is which is what anyone kind of, we've all had those frustrations when we've gone into shops and things are ridiculous. I mean, you can buy a pack of 12 cans of Coke for say three quid, but they'll charge you a quid for a can of Coke. We've, we've all had those frustrations. 
but we've never gone to the extent of what um, Douglas ends up doing. No, yeah, yeah, we've all got we've, we've all done that. We've all been to a shop where we want change, and they say no. You got to buy something. So yeah, um, I'm, at, the, at the moment these are everyday things which the average Joe gets frustrated at. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Yeah, so he smashes the shop up, um, or a lot of the shop up of things that are overpriced uh, until he gets to the can of Coke where he agrees that it does cost 50 cents and he pays for it. He um, takes a change, which allows him to make the phone call. Um, and again, when he leaves, he he doesn't see or doesn't appear to believe that he's done anything wrong whatsoever when other people would have that stop switch of not smashing up the shop. Mm. And he goes into... It does make me laugh when he says, do you know how much our country gives to your country? And he says, well, no. He says, well, no, neither do I, but I imagine it's quite a lot of money. He's he's just kind of flipped, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I think it's, it's done in a clever way where you when we see it as wrong, and we know it's wrong, but you can almost... And, and it, what he's doing is wrong, but you can understand why he's doing that why what you, you know you, you, you i still felt oh yeah he's being an he's being an a-hole but um and 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 you know he's being kind of like you know we're we're bordering on the boundaries of race of racism but the film still rightly or wrongly um keeps him fairly sympathetic in in, in the respect of you don't agree with it but you can almost see see why it's got to that stage with him if that's making any sense yeah, completely, and that's the way I felt when I watched it first time, and, and even when I um, watched it this time. But you kind of, you know, he's and it's so clever because you know he's done wrong that he smashed the shop up, and as you say, he's bordering on the uh, kind of being racist to him with regards to what he's saying about his country and, yes. and stereotyping about working in a shop, and that you come over here and you charge these prices and everything. It's clearly racist comments, but. But you, part of you, the consumer part of you, kind of thinks, yeah, I'd love to go into my local shop or a Sainsbury's where I know I'm getting ripped off for these prices and these milk or bread or whatever doesn't cost this much and I, I'm being made to pay this much money. I should pay what I think it's worth. Mm. And, and it's so clever that it can bring the normal person out of their normal reality into kind of agreeing to committing those different offences, whatever, to to agree into Michael Douglas, and that's so clever the way it's done. Yes, absolutely. Bloody, mm. we're agreeing. This is uh, this is quite impressive. <laughs> and the, ne- the next, you're introduced to um, Robert Duval, kind of where he's at his place of work, and this character, I really do sympathise with Robert Duval, and I think he he has like obviously the best ending in the film, and you're always on his side is whatever he's doing is always for the best. And you learn through the film that he was previously injured and he's being ridiculed by everyone in his department, isn't he? Yeah. 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 Police and you've got the uh, stereotypical, I'm retiring today and everyone makes the joke that someone, you know, could like, don't, don't die, etc. So they're not quite breaking the fourth wall, but, but they're, they're, you know, they're, they're in on the joke almost with the audience, with the trope. Yeah. And, and all the people, one of the, I was trying to think of his name when I was watching it. Um, one of the colleagues who he works with, 
he really reminded me of who's oh, I can't even remember his name now. Who's that guy? Went, game over, man. Game over. Oh shit! Yeah, and aliens. Yeah, I don't know his name. I just can't remember his name now. If, um, if, is, that, is it the one he ends up punching? One person will probably be calling it out. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and he really what a dick character, wasn't he? Yes. He really reminded me. Um, it's not Bill. Bill Pullman. Bill? No. No, uh, uh, that's me. Really frustrating for people listening to this. As I say, it's probably one person. <laughs> I'm going to find uh, out. I will find out. I will find me? out. Just, just stop you could. being annoyed. Bill Paxton. Um, that's it. Bill Paxton. Excellent stuff. And uh, so, thanks for that. That really would have eaten away at me during the podcast. <laughs> so yeah, you learn that he's a bit of a, a brunt, takes the brunt of everyone's jokes, and he's ridiculed, and people don't see. There's kind of obviously a testosterone-driven office that. People are going out there making his arrests and he's always in the office due to an injury, which we never find anything out about. But he's just not a man in other people's eyes, apart from um, his colleague, Rachel, who they seem to have a really, really kind of bordering on overly close relationship, don't they? Yes. Because, um, yeah, because we, 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 you get he's married... Um, she almost looks a bit young for him, anyway. But she seems to be the only one in the actual in in the actual department that cares for him. Uh, that is actually legit his friend, so to speak. Yeah, she she's always on his side. She's kind of willing to overtly talk in the office about different cases and kind of show their friendship and certain degrees of affection for each other. Um, and willing to take the piss take from everyone else whilst doing so, which, which is really, really nice through this film. It's kind of the only kind of a close bond through this film, isn't it? Yeah. So everyone else seems to want to fucking kill each other. But um, interestingly, he, the, the cop, obviously devours and, and obviously Michael Doug defends. They start on almost polar opposites. He starts almost at the lowest point for him in the film, retiring. He doesn't want to retire. He's very low. When Michael Douglas starts at the highest point in terms of um, his life is a lot more on track than it is at the end, if that makes sense. And and, and, and it kind of switches around at the end, obviously. Yeah, and I, I found that when I kind of rewatched this, that to, to a certain degrees, I found that they were both on the same path, but it was a real clear demonstration of how you deal with these situations if you've got control if you're a normal human being mm. how you deal with these situations if you if you act on your natural instinct of how most people deal with them who don't have rules in society yeah. and it was really really clever i don't know if that was kind of meant to be done like that or whether if you look so deep into it you see that but i found that that was a really really clever way of showing both characters who are going through really difficult times and, and being ridiculed by the system that they have so much faith in and they deal with it different ways. It's really, really good. But Douglas calls Hershey um, and it's, uh, well, I think it's engaged, isn't it? Yeah. Or, you know, and uh, it kind of pisses her off. And that's actually, that's before he goes and gets the, uh, the change. Yes. But, um, and when he's kind of, after he makes that conversation, he walks off again. You get the subliminal messages again as he walks towards the gangland of "Thou shall not kill," uh, pasted across this massive building. And as I said earlier, that's just such a clever way of 
showing the way normal society works throughout this film. It, it's so, so clever. Um, and then Duval calls his wife, and who's played by um, Tuesday World, and his wife is such a needy, annoying character. I don't know. They don't really go into why she's so needy and no, why I mean, she acts. She's so vulnerable, isn't she? Yeah, you say that. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, th- I think it's pretty much because the way they they spin it, and, and I guess understandably so for me, is um, that she's uh, they've lost a child together. Do you think that's what it is? I really didn't pick up on why she was like that. It, it was never kind of revealed, was it? No, it was never properly revealed. But th- that I assumed essentially that's a, that that was indeed the case. Well, you're probably right, actually. Yeah, because after he speaks to her, he keeps looking at a photograph of a child. So yeah, because even explained that they lost their child together. It was like um, uh, you, you know, in infant death syndrome when a um. When the, the poor baby was the poor little one was about two years old, which is obviously very sad and obviously mimics what uh, goes on in the film later on. Um, yeah, uh, but you are right. Jesse she does London Bridge to her, doesn't he? Yeah, it, the way she is um, throughout the film, it is a bit difficult to feel too sorry for her. I know, I know that sounds really bad after losing a child, but it's, it's almost the way the film portrays her in, in an almost neg- negative way. Whether they're trying to be realistic or not, I don't know. Um, and and uh, she, it just seems really, really frustrating. And she, she, she seems to be quite controlling over du, you know, Duval's character. Yeah, it's kind of, it gets clearer throughout the film that he doesn't want to retire mm. and that there's so much pressure on him by her that you are finishing work today and she is desperate for him to leave because that will be the kind of crossing the finishing line of you're no longer a police officer. And you can see on his face and the way he talks to her that he's given up everything that he wants to, to leave a job that he clearly likes and go to a place that he clearly doesn't want to go to. Um, it's some desert in Indiana or something, isn't it? Yeah. And that leads on to which uh, a scene that I like Michael Douglas and again you're kind of still having sympathy with him where he goes he walks across a field and in the middle of the field it appears like a bit of a broken building with graffiti on and he sits on one of them because he's got a hole in his shoe and just to rest and to take stock on where he's got to go because he's travelling to his um, daughter's house because it is her birthday Adele um, and two Hispanics walk up to him and they say that he's on their land and this is their property and he's trespassing and he's got to pay a toll. Um, and it's just great that they kind of spill off all these rules to him. And he says, oh, is this what it says? And all this shit graffiti there. And it means nothing to him. And why should he give them anything? And that, why don't you go and get a job and act like normal people? And I'm not going to pay you anything. I'm a normal member of public. And you're just two idiots. <laughs> and just get out of my way. And, and a credit to Douglas's character. He does give them a chance to walk away. And we'll just forget this ever happened. But they do keep pushing him, don't they? And I think that's why you do feel sympathy towards him in this. Because he really, he isn't doing anything wrong, is he? He's definitely the victim in this. Yeah. And and it's great because he sticks up for himself against his two bumps. And that's what everyone would like to do. And and it's that real merry-go-round throughout this film of one minute he is the victim. Then the next minute he's the villain. And it's just that fine line that he keeps crossing. And I, I think that's why you keep, to a certain extent, rooting for him in these kind of various situations. And it, that's so clever that 
they don't automatically from the start of the film make him out to be the baddie, the villain. Um, no. And you continue having sympathy for him. And that's such a, a good idea because the film wouldn't have been the film it is if he was the, uh, like the villain from the off. Yeah, no, no absolutely. And um, I mean, I, I like the fact that, you know, when he has enough, he gets the baseball about and smacks one of them and the other one runs away and he obviously picks up the knife. Which uh, you know puts it in, in in the pocket, which we will get into later. Uh, yeah, and, and ultimately, the comment about the butterfly knife is funny though, isn't it? When he flicks it, I don't even know how to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he goes, how did he do that? It's just, yeah, yeah, it's very very good. And the Korean guy then goes into the police station because um, Pendergrass works in robbery, and they believe it's a robbery, so they, he's there to take a statement from him and. I soon learned that because he's paid for it, it doesn't fit the the criteria. Mm. Um, it's a mistake, but he gets enough information before discovering this. It's a white guy with a shirt and tie, and uh, he has a baseball bat. And I think it's really, really clever that in this part, that the uh, the Asian guy says, I had a baseball bat. What do you sell them? No, it's for defence. And he goes, defence, which is... Yeah, which you thought, which thought was really yeah, yeah. He says his name, which I thought was. Did you think that was clever, or did you think that was stupid? No, I thought that was quite clever, especially because defends. That's that's how he finds out who he is with the um, number plate in the end. Ultimately, Robert Duvall's character. Yeah. And if so, it wasn't for that, yeah, he wouldn't have discovered his number plate later on. So yeah, it's all pretty relevant. And the, the next one is reminding me a bit of a a Pulp Fiction. Um, Oh, what, did it, what does uh, Jules call it in Pulp Fiction when he, uh, another word for a miracle, it's a divine intervention. That's it. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of divine intervention because Douglas is uh, speaking to his, to Barbara <laughs> Hershey on the phone um, and she says, says him to stop calling and he says he's coming home for Adele's birthday um, and, she, and he says, I've got to see you um, to bring the present. And this conversation is the kind of one of the very first times that you learn that it's kind of she's totally terrified and petrified of him. And even though he's never hit her or he's never hit Adele, that there's that constant threat of violence and control over a life that she's now free of. And that's the, the very first sign time you actually see that. Yeah, um. And because it, I mean, it must be creepy for her the fact that he he keeps phoning up uh, and uh, not saying anything, you know. Yeah. And and yeah. And, and, and I like the fact that clearly she knows it's him, um, but we're not too sure when when he first starts doing it. Yeah, and she plays the, the well, she's a victim, but she plays the victim very very well, yes. doesn't she? And you instantly, from having a scene where you're rooting for him with those two gang members instantly on a toss of a coin you're now against him that you realize he is a threat towards her and there's a lot more to this character than first meets the eye um and he's not necessarily a victim but the gang um interestingly enough where this is filmed um this the wall with uh the christ uh painted on there that was in another robert duval film where he's in with sean penn uh called colors Okay. And that is a really, really, really good film. That's I think that's on Netflix or Amazon. 
if anyone wants to watch a, a really good cop gang film, that is a brilliant film. And that's filmed at the same location. Um, because on one of them, one of the kids is painting on that mural. And uh, I think it's Sean Penn's character paints the kid's face green. Um, okay. Just to teach him a lesson. And Robert du- in that film, Robert Duval has worked the streets um, for a long time, knows everyone, and he kind of polices in his very in a very similar way, um, talks to people um, nicely and gets on well with them, but gets the job done at the same time. He kind of polices in the same kind of style as uh, Pendergrass in this, and Robert Duval's um, Sean Penn's the new rookie cop who's very cocky and thinks he knows it all. And uh, that's a really really good film. But yeah, that's filmed at the same location. Um, and the gang drive past whilst um, he's just finishing up his phone call and they fire shitloads of rounds, um, injuring two members of the public, possibly killing one of them, I think. Uh, and Completely Douglas missing. just stands there and he doesn't get hit at all, <laughs> does he? Which is, I find that really, really bizarre. He doesn't even try and get out of the way. Um, but then again, that, that might show that his current mental state, maybe. Um, I, I, I don't know. But yeah, that... I don't know. I, I haven't decided whether it's really a negative. I don't think it's definitely. I wouldn't say it's a definite positive about this film. It, that was a really, really bizarre moment. What? Because he didn't flinch at all. Didn't flinch, but he didn't get shot at all, etc. Yeah, I just didn't. Yeah, um, he didn't try to hide. How he like at least ducked down behind a car or something. I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're, they're obviously terrible shots, but there you go. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's really interesting that he doesn't he doesn't flinch or show any emotion. Uh, yeah, and I don't, as you say, I, I'm not sure whether that's his mental state at all, because um, I wouldn't imagine that he's been involved in many kind of incidents with drive-by shootings or people shooting at him, for him to have no reaction or no emotion. Yeah, that's it is a really really strange way of of acting, isn't it? I don't yeah. understand why he's done that. No, it is pretty bad. But the again, it's not explained why. But the the car that's done the drive by with the gang members in crashes around the corner, and in kind of cartoon style, you hear a crash. Uh, I was waiting for the camera to shake, like in Tom and Jerry. But <laughs> he walks around the corner and sees the gang members who had just uh, tried to kind of mug him in this uh, field, uh, leaning out the car, covered in blood, and. Conveniently enough, there's a gun full of bag, a gun full of bags. There's even a bag full of guns. Yeah, absolutely. And he takes the guns and he shoots one of them in the uh, the leg. And this is for me where he's gone beyond that point of no return, where he shoots and he misses and he goes, "Oh look, I missed. My aim's off." And then he without any emotion, um, which is quite interesting because he's picked up a machine gun. Um, it doesn't show any emotion whatsoever there's no aggression he's kind of just blanked out now wasn't he and he shoots one of them in the leg yeah and just walks away and it's really really strange because he's not showing anger of being shot at and he's not showing any emotion that he's shooting someone which is in this film which we know he's not done it before it's not been mentioned but actually shooting some of a machine gun he's just emotionless through that and it's which i strange. think it almost gives the excuse the reason why he didn't flinch, etc. Earlier, which is which is the reason why I think you can almost forgive the film for 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 doing what seemed a bit silly. Kind of almost makes sense in a way. Yeah, yeah. It, it would have been nice to have a a bit more 
motion for me um, from uh, Michael Douglas's character towards his gang members, the fact that he was shot at and other mm. members of the public died. He doesn't even, or been shot, he doesn't even, he walks through the crowd when there's people laying on the floor, again, without any emotion. Yeah. And it, it's not known what's, whether he's, the conversation with his wife about being denied of seeing his daughter, whether that's triggered something in his mind to just blank out any kind of emotion. It's, it, you don't see that at all, that um, kind of bit where he just carries over into violence, do you? No, no. Um, <laughs> no, and I think, and, and once again, we talk about his mental state, um, an average person would not have reacted like this. Absolutely not, I, I imagine, um, any of this. For example, seeing the car there, I mean, I mean, they may well have, I guess, you know, they may well have got angry enough to shoot one of them. Um, but, but not in the blase, not in the blase fashion he does. And he just oh. carries the guns. These might come in useful, he thinks. Um, I don't quite know why he decided to pick up the guns, though, the bag of guns. I think, at the time, I think it was more to punish them to not have the guns rather than he wanted them. That's exactly what I've got written down, what I was just about to ask oh, you. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that I put, um, the guns that he's got, do you think they were for his family to take them away from the gang, or do you think they were for protection or or against other members of the public due to society's kind of lowering standards? What did you think at the time? I don't, I don't think he realises what he's doing is wrong, and I think he just takes them to annoy him, to annoy them. Yeah, I, I must admit, I really don't know. I, I've got no idea why he takes the guns. I, I know it's for to piss them off and walk away with them, but the fact that he doesn't get rid of the guns, um, it kind of made me question of if he's just decided to go on a bit of a rampage and just start killing everyone. I, it, I really don't know because it, throughout the film, until he gets to like the last twenty minutes of it, that he continues to have the guns with him, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and more guns as well and more ammunition. Um, and you've got, and it's really, really clever because you've got this scene of, of violence and a man being belittled and it goes instantly to Robert Duval going to see his boss for the kind of traditional leaving speech. I mean, do you, really what do you think of this scene? Yeah. What did you think of this scene? I thought th- the boss, it kind of felt like he was a bit of a douchebag, but and that was and my suspicions of him being a douchebag the first time I watched it was basically you know um, rectified. Well, not rectified, but it was confirmed uh, later on in the film when he says, "I don't even like you." Uh, but yeah, it did. The whole scene did feel really insincere. Yeah, I felt so sorry for Robert Duvall's character in this, and it was just so many aspects of this were wrong that he people haven't seen this film obviously we're going to spoil this film completely if you've not already guessed that he walks into the boss's office um or is his captain and he starts talking to him about i've got to say these things they're just everyone's been told these things um so you're just a number and, and all the way through this he's just made to be a number that people are out on the streets making arrests resting their lives but you just sat behind a desk because of your injury and you just pushed a pen all the time. So instantly you're not a man, you're nothing compared to me and you're much lower than me on the the food chain. And then he asks how his daughter is. And he says, my daughter's gone. 
and he goes, what, like, missing? No, she's died. So he doesn't know anything about her, really, or about him. And then he asks as a question, you're married, though, right? And so he just is belittled all the way through this, through so many years of service. I mean, I don't know how long the police in America do have to work for, whether it's kind of the traditional 25 years. But he's obviously put years and years into this. Um, And he is a really good police officer, which he does prove. But to (laughs) to his superiors, he's nothing. He's not even a proper police officer because he stays behind a desk and he's just a number. But again, he deals with that um, really, really well. Um, And he kind of takes it on the chin and he doesn't go berserk and make any comments back to his boss, which is a complete kind of, I don't know, like a opposite, a polar opposite of the way Michael Douglas's character deals with anything and being belittled against the system. Mm. Uh, and I thought that was done really, really well. And it really showed what kind of person Duval is and the system in the police force, which is meant to be law and order, is just as bad as society outside. That's the way I saw it. Yeah, and and and, it, and I think that ultimately leads to the payoff at the end of the film, which is nice with Deval's character. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to that because it was only now that I actually picked something up at the end of that. What I didn't on two other viewings, I think it's because I'm a bit of a tit, but <laughs> I honestly don't know. I get more and more senior moments coming now, and uh, I tend to forget things. But yeah, I, I really, really did like that scene, and that was one of my favourites in there just because of the way that, as I say, Duval handled that situation. Um, so from there, you go back to Michael Douglas, who again, things aren't going well for him. He's queuing at a bus stop. There are huge queues. The bus pulls up. The queue instantly just goes into a massive group where there's no order of getting on this bus. Um, but he'll stick to queuing, which means he doesn't get on this bus. And again, he's, he's denied, there's no kind of order even in a bus stop which you can see the frustration mm. um if we can't queue properly then what is society coming to so he decides to walk down the footpath again a construction worker tells him you're not walking this way um it's under construction and he's in each occasion he's never told is or sorry he's always told these things by someone who's a real asshole <laughs> which is quite interesting it's never by a normal person no um and it's always told by someone who's a complete asshole. who basically it's like a, a demonstration of Douglas is being pushed for pillar to post by various people who he sees are below him, doesn't he? Yeah. And that's, it's just done so well. And you meet the bum in the park. And again, Douglas quickly becomes the victim in this. He does. And, someone- and we've all been there. I mean, I mean, this is a, maybe a slightly more extreme version of it, but we've all been there. Yeah, I mean, talk us through what happens. Well, he's basically following, begging him for money, and he's 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 basically telling him a spiel of lies. Says, you know, I need I need it for this reason. Oh, I need it for this reason. Um, I got I drove here. I don't have any money. And even Michael Douglas is counting. He's like, well, where's your car, man? And he's like, oh, oh well, well, he didn't, he didn't really have an answer. Then he keeps pestering him. And then Michael Douglas turns around. And I'm sure other people have felt they wanted to do this. Essentially, you know, just get a job. Yeah. It's essentially, essentially. Yeah. And, 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 this is old in Nam. <laughs> yeah, I was in Nam. He's like, how old were you when you were in Nam? Um, yeah. yeah. And I think 
it's it's a slight exaggeration of situations that I think most people that have walked down the high street has been in. If not a beggar, you've got um the the people with their little uh I know it, I'm not really bothered. I just ignore them sometimes, but um with their little boards. For, I understand sometimes very reputable charities, etc. But the way some of them go about it is really shoving it down your throat, you know. Yeah, yeah, and he gives him his briefcase at the end, which yes. is full of nothing. Which, is, which is interesting because we don't know what's in that briefcase. We finally find out, and it's essentially a packed lunch. Yeah, sandwiches and an apple, and uh, yeah, and you, that gives the first hint that yes, it what does. What is he actually doing? Which is very, very good. Um, and from there, they go to Barbara Hershey again, where there are finally she has got a police unit around there, um, and she's, which is what we spoke about earlier at the start of the pod that she's discussing what he's actually like. Um, and she says that he's got a very bad temper. Um, and he can't come within a hundred meters. And the police asks if, um, if he has a um, propensity for violence. Yes. So when she says that like, she, he's never hit me, um, but there's always that threat there and the way he acts that they instantly dismiss her. That, yes. Well, this is nothing here because he's, he's never hit you. So you just appear to be worried of something that's never ever happened, and there's no evidence he's going to do anything. And that, that's a really interesting scene. That, uh, and I don't know whether that's a sign of the times that kind of women who are involved in domestic violence, whether, uh, I mean, and it probably was back in those days that there was a, a proportion of blame to put back on them that they could do more. And if a woman's been beaten up, why doesn't she just walk away? And you can't mind it, or you must be exaggerating, or there must be, you must have asked for it. Um, really outdated circumstances and reasons given for this, which is thankfully has moved on. Um, and that there's a lot more structure there for men and women who are victims of domestic violence. But it really did show a, a sign of the times of, that she's asking for that support and even law and order isn't giving her that support and they're pretty much useless, aren't they? Yeah. And it's felt like she's got nowhere to go essentially. Um, yeah. Uh, and she definitely, I mean, I mean, she definitely feels like a, a victim of sorts because we see, we we're starting to see what Michael Douglas's character is like. And she's saying, yeah, he's not been violent to me, but he, you can see that you, you can see potentially being violent. And, and, and I think even, even in this day and age, it's more, I think you can understand what she's going through more. As, as you said, back then, yes, yeah, sometimes they were, you know, wrongly, they were sometimes wrongly to blame. Yeah, and, and I think that's quite interesting. And I think through watching a lot of films when the subject of domestic violence comes up, of how poorly it was dealt with back then to how well a lot of the times it's been dealt with now. But And we have the luxury of viewers of watching this, seeing... The, the extremes that Douglas will go to and will snap through kind of just minor situations that everyone has to go through each day where the levels of violence that he reaches. So it kind of, it's a frustration in the film that's done really well, how the police officers don't take us seriously. Um, and then we're seeing the other side of, well, he is really violent and he's just shot someone and she's saying to the police officer, well, he's never hurt me or my daughter. So I don't know. It's just, He's got that propensity for violence and we can see how violent he can be. And it's, it's a really kind of black and white situation of, we know he's bad. We can see it to mm. the actual police who are there to protect her 
just dismissing her as being like a, a dumb female who's worried about something where nothing's ever happened. And that's, that's really clever. Whether the police officers were kind of made to look that stupid or whether that was a sign of the times then, I really don't know. But but having the luxury of the viewer, it's kind of, it increases the the frustrations throughout the film, doesn't it? You know something's going to happen to her. Yes, it's it's just a matter of when. And and you know, as with all things, we can't, you know, uh, it potentially might be too late. Um, once the police decide to actually get involved, and you know, and ultimately, and then he was, had it not been for um, Devell's character. Yeah, yeah, and he keeps plugging away. Um, the girl who was in the car, the drive-by, he speaks to her, and and she says that the the guy who turned up or who was on the phone who they wanted to get was wearing a shirt and tie, and glasses. he kind of links it. Yeah, and glasses. That's right, and he links it to the same guy the assault with the Korean guy in the shop. Um, so he knows that something that's going on. And the next scene was at the, it still is a really, really good scene. And I, I still think about this when I go into McDonald's and things like that, when he goes into Whammy. I, everyone... I, I don't know whether that's a proper chain in America. I, I, I really don't know. See, I just assumed but... it was a, a, a subliminary McDonald's, even when I watched it now. It possibly could be. I mean, it's it's absolutely brilliant. He he goes in there, and we've all been in these situations. It's eleven thirty three, and he goes in for a breakfast, and they're told that they stop serving breakfast, even though breakfast is still there in front of him, having already been cooked. And he they could quite happily and easy give him a breakfast, but they tell him no, it's finished. And he says the customer's always right, <laughs> and this is the occasion where the customer is right. And once again, you're sure. right. I want to add to the point that he, he always he picks the worst people to speak to or serve him. Because once again, we've got the worst, you know, the, the worst kind of, of, of till attendant and manager. Yeah, they're absolute buffoons, aren't they? And yes. it, it's very good that he calls her Sheila and he calls, he calls the other guy Alex. And he says, look, I'm calling you by your first name. I don't even know you. I worked for my boss for seven years and I called him, sir. And he, it feel like we're at an AA meeting, and he's he's kind of got these moral codes and standards, very much kind of like Larry David has, that he abides by. Um, and when he goes off the rails a, a bit, which he does now, he becomes increasingly angry, and he pulls out a machine gun from his bag of guns, um, and by accident it goes off, and he tells everyone it's a loose trigger. I'm really really sorry. Uh, so they give him a breakfast. <laughs> then he says no you're right I, I don't want a breakfast i want a meal and as they're getting ready for giving the meal it's really funny the way he just walks around the restaurant talking to people asking them what the food's like it's really bizarre isn't it <laughs> it is <laughs> i mean I, I think i think he realized at this point he's done something wrong maybe and yeah he, and he's kind of trying to make up for it yeah the, that's exactly what i was going to say it's the first time i think he's realized he's gone over the mark because it's, it's just very dark humor People are so scared. You've got that one woman who's so scared she throws up and he turns around to the manager and says, I think we've got a critic here. Yes. It's just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and he's he has gone over to Mark because there there are women there, children there, and he's walking around with a machine gun having fired it already. And, they, and it gets worse because they give him a burger and he unwraps the burger. And it is a very sorry state of a hamburger, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Like, like we always get from McDonald's. It never looks like the picture. No, and it's just squashed. And again, this spirals even more into a rage 
where he says, is this like the picture of a plump, juicy burger um, such that you've got above your head there? And it's not. And it just, he goes into trying of society doesn't give people what they ask for and everything's fake and we're pushed into believing we're going to get something that we don't get. And he just goes fucking mental, doesn't he? He does. But I mean, did you, what kind of side were you on when you watched this? Oh, I was on the customer side. I was on the innocent public side in the end, uh, um, because of the machine gun, the way it was, the way it was acting. But having said that, once again, um, the, the the writing of the film is is good enough to the fact the fact that it gives you a, definitely a fair amount of sympathy for this character uh, when he looks at the when he when he's when he's looking at the burger. Yeah, and we've all been there it's, once again. Yeah, so yeah, and I I do think about this a lot of the time when I do get let down by uh, any fast food, but it's done so well again that instantly you're on his side, but as quick as being on his side, then you're on, you're against him. Yeah. And it's just, it's written so well, isn't it? And it's directed so well. And the way it's been edited, it's, it's just so clever of how quickly in one scene you can be with someone then against them, um, for the sake of a hamburger and what it should look like. And it, and it's great because we've all been frustrated like that. And, but none of us have brought a machine gun and uh, shot up McDonald's, even though we'd like to, I'm sure. No, exactly. But um, from the whammy burger scene, uh, he has lunch. Robert Duval has lunch at Prendergast with his partner, um, Sandra. Is it Sandra or Rachel? I'm even forgetting now. It's not important anyway. Uh, but I, he has lunch. Two seconds. I've, I've got the falling down thing in front of me. It is Sandra. Sandra. Oh, her name's Rachel. Yeah. Um, and during lunch, again, she's talking to him. Do you really want to do this? You look so miserable and unhappy that just from appearances and what you've said, your wife is wearing you down. And, and it's so true. And just by the look on his face, you can see that she's right. And he knows that she's right and that he really doesn't want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the feeling you got all the way through and it's just it's just him really confirming it and reconfirming it again um on a you know later on towards the end of the film yeah and in lunch um you get the complete plonker turn up again and said you won't believe it we got to go someone's uh shot up a whammy burger um and left but paid for the meal and i it's just the fact that he's paid for the meal sets alarm bells ringing doesn't it mm. And he instantly knows that it's bound to be um, defense or Michael Douglas's character that's done this. And he warns his partner that this guy is extremely dangerous and he has got a bag of guns and that he's been to the shop. It's probably him and that he shot up a, uh, the, or he shot these gang members. Uh, so just to be careful and to make contact when you do get there to confirm it is the same person. And through that, he can kind of track where he's, where he's been, where this started, and where it's going to. Um, but at the moment, they don't know his final destination of, of why he's going there. But from there, I mean, this always reflects in the, like, 93. Um, and I, I think, just from looking at IMDb, was this is when they had the Los Angeles riots, wasn't it, while this was being filmed? Yes. And uh, so it was that like, economy, and there was kind of a... That the the black people in the in Los Angeles and in America 
were being kind of suppressed and there was a lot of uh, of racial violence at the time. And you've got the guy who's outside the shop when Michael Douglas is wandering around again with the sign saying he's um, not economic, I can't even say the word, economically viable. There you go, I got it out in the end. And it's really interesting because it's a lot of the films about kind of um, like oppression and people being kind of fired and not good enough for, for certain things in life. And again, this is shown by someone holding a Packard out of a, in front of a, his place of work. I got the impression that, that he was sacked or, uh, or whether he wasn't given a loan. I wasn't too sure. What did you think? I didn't really even give him a thought. Unfortunately, it's true at that point. <laughs> <laughs> it's the honest reason. I mean, I, I was just wondering what the hell Michael Douglas' character is going to do next. The first time I watched it, obviously this time I knew. So, but yeah, yeah. So you've got the guy, and he gets um, carted away by the police, and he says, "Don't forget about me." Yes. Um, and from there, he goes into a like an army surplus store, and again, you've. It's hard to feel sympathy for the, this guy who runs the shop. I mean. He's in there and he wants to buy a pair of boots because he's got a hole in his shoe. And there's two um, men in there um, and they're clearly kind of stereotyped as being uh, homosexual guys in a relationship. And the shop owner keeps making references to like fags and things like that. Uh, Just and and every time he says it, he raises his voice um, so these two guys can hear it. And it's kind of, he's like a traditional redneck, complete... (coughs) dickhead isn't he oh absolutely but, absolutely straight away as well there is no simp- he's not a sympathetic character he's instantly he's instantly dislikable um yeah, yeah. there's I mean, no the nice qualities about this guy yeah to the point where he's almost uh, he, he was it was almost a danger of him being like a stereotypical trope kind of like kind of like character in what at the so far seemed quite a grounded film um i don't think he gets to that stage but I think there was a, had it carried on too much longer, uh, uh, you know, us spending time with this guy, it may well have, it, it could have got to that. Yeah, and I thought what was good about it was when he was in the shop talking to these two, uh, talking to Michael Douglas, and he was um, making these kind of homophobic comments towards them, that even Michael Douglas was looking at him in like disgust. to say in disgust. Yeah, yeah and I thought that was really good that. Douglas has still got this kind of moral code of kind of people kind of live and let live and you can do what you want Um, whilst going to a whammy shop or just coming from a whammy shop and shooting it up because his burger was flat. Yeah. And it's uh, that fine line. It just gets finer and finer through this film. But I I did like the fact that even he realized that what this guy was saying was completely wrong and he got his comeuppance in the end. I mean, the the police officer comes in, uh, Sandra, asking for Michael Douglas. Have you seen him? Give a description. At the time, he's in um, a changing room. This guy uh, covers for him, and he thinks that he's, as he puts it, one of him. We're the same. So he shows him all this uh, neo-Nazi regalia of mustard gas and tear gas, what was used to kill loads of Jews and things like that. And when Douglas which is what I like when Douglas says, I'm nothing like you. You're sick. You're fucking scum. And like, you need help. And we're not the same whatsoever. 
that the the, the, the neo Nazi idiot turns on Douglas, doesn't he? Yeah, simply because he doesn't doesn't agree with him. I mean, I mean the stuff he shows him is quite shocking. Yeah, it's 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 awful. I should imagine there are places like that which are, which is very disturbing. But it's again, it's great that he's got his moral compass still throughout all of this. Um, but it's really really strange and. It's kind of, I, f- I found it kind of tropey that, or n- not tropey, it's, I wasn't surprised that he, he was making these homophobic comments and when he, he kind of detains Douglas and uh, he's going to search him and he kind of makes him bend over this counter that, and he says, you're going to go to prison uh, for what you're doing. I'm going to cough you up to the police and you're going to go in a prison cell and they're going to kind of do all these horrible things to you that he kind of acts him out to Douglas in a very homophobic, in a very, um, um, homosexual way, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, very. Um, it, it almost reminds me of that scene in American Beauty when the uh, very harsh militaristic dad ends up kissing a. Um, oh, uh, I forgot his name. The, 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 the main character because he himself is potentially you know, Kevin you know, Spacey. Yeah, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, it almost reminded me, reminded me of that. The whole uh, does he yeah. does, does he have a problem with? Um, y- you know, same gender relationships, uh, uh, because he is. Yes. That's the impression I got. It yeah. was, yeah, it, it, I, I think that was very clever. Yeah. And the butterfly knife that Douglas gets from the two gang members, he stabs the, um, guy in the shoulder. And I didn't think he was dead when I first watched this, but you later hear on that he, he is he dead yeah. and he was shoved in a uh, display cabinet. Yes. Which, which we don't see. I don't know whether that's a good or bad thing, but yeah. Um, I think we would have completely lost all sympathy had we seen Michael Douglas's character kill him and shove him in a in a, in a display in a display cabinet, which is the yeah. reason why we didn't see it. That's what I think. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, to conform to society rules, you should be against Douglas at this time. But due to but the nature of what again, that's he's kind like, of he's bad, but he's still kind of you could all make a good, very good argument that he's still kind of the victim in this scenario because he's, he's been attacked. By this guy, and yeah. he was saying by by basically sticking up for the fact that well, you know you are wrong. I'm nothing like you. Yeah, uh, but it, it's yeah. I think he had no way, no other way of getting out of that situation. Not that I mean, I don't <laughs> know where you you don't know whether he he stabbed him, and it doesn't appear a fatal injury that he's got, and then he he killed him after somehow, which obviously is crossing the line, but you don't know whether that is and you're kind of always on the fence with regards to, well, you had to do that to get out of it, but he killed him. So he's a murderer, but is he a victim as well? And it's, it's really clever the way there's a bit of a conundrum about most things that he does through this film. Yeah. Which is, I think it makes it just such a, an interesting film to actually watch. Um, so again, Douglas calls, um, Hershey from inside the army surplus store. But this time he's, he's really, really from being a victim. He's kind of the perpetrator again, isn't he? Yes. He's saying that he's gone beyond the point of return. And he gives you that analogy of, uh, like the space vessel going there and what it means that he's gone too far to actually turn back now. Um, and she is, actually terrified she now knows that she he is going to come back um and that he's going to kill her because he says to her do you know in some states of america or some south american states of america that it's legal to kill the wife 
Um, yes, that was really disturbing. Yeah, and and that's when he he's almost going full psycho now. I think uh, sort of starting to at this point. Yeah, because she says to him, she kind of insults. She doesn't insult him on the phone, but she points out the plain facts of you shouldn't be here. You've got the order. Um, just go away. Just leave me alone. Um, this is my house now. You've never paid any child maintenance. Um, and in his mind, he, he she is insulting him. Um, and I took that as a direct threat that, like, if you were in South America now, like, I'd have every right to come and kill you because of what you said. And you could be killed about what you're saying to me. So he is threatening violence towards her. And for me, he's gone beyond that point of return of being a victim. And he's not really shown as a victim anymore, is he? No. No, no, not. I think I think this is the point where he kind of crosses the line. You start for even me to start to feel a bit sorry for him, saying, "All right, okay, yeah, you've kind of gone way beyond the mark now." Yeah, and from there, quickly Duval goes to the um, convenience store, finds defense. He knows um, that it is the same guy because he remembers um, the, the. He remembers the. Uh, he remembers. Sorry, the um, number plate. Yeah, yeah, and the guy that. Um, it was the same guy in a convenience store who actually said that. Um, and what he also does is he goes to the uh, the freeway again where there's a uh, construction going on. And I first of all, I thought it was the same place, but it can't be the same place because he's actually walking away from the, the traffic jam, isn't he? So he must be in another location. Yeah. Where he gets the bazooka out. Yes. Yes. He does get the bazooka out, doesn't he? Um, yeah. And then, try, yeah, and then, well, tries to blow up <laughs> because once again we're confronted by a douchebag saying you can't, you can't go forward here. We're we're doing work to the road, and this is always a conversation we'd like to have with lots of road workers. Where, well, the road looked fine before. What are you doing? And he's like, he's being cocky, and until he whips out, <laughs> until he whips out the uh, bazooka. Uh, yeah. see, the guy suddenly is like, "Well, I don't know what they're doing. They're, they're, they're doing nothing." I mean, it, it was yeah. almost it was in in this film. This is almost one of the more amusing scenes. If in turn, you know, if you're a bit sick in the head like me, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I thought it was quite funny. But it's true got, what he says, though, and a yeah, lot of people have said it. But it's that time of year where the local authorities will carry out roadworks just to like use up their budget, so they get the same amount of budget income next year to carry out more works otherwise their budget will decrease because they've not spent it all and that's what he wants the construction worker to admit that that's why they're doing these roadworks and delaying everyone and preventing him from having a normal journey to go and see his daughter and I've had thoughts like that and I've said that when I've been in the car with the kids sat in roadworks especially when it's towards the end of the financial year that they're digging a hole there was never a problem down here the other day no. So why now are you digging up all of this road and causing traffic problems? And then he and yeah, and then obviously he launches it <laughs> with his. But he uh, does it wrong, doesn't he? He does. I mean, he's talking to this kid. You're shooting a film. And he's like, yeah, cameras away over there. He's like, cool. <laughs> he shoots it down <laughs> a drain pipe. By accident, it? And then it, yeah, and then it creates a nice big explosion. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a comical moment in the film, which is which is really good. Um, so the police then go and visit Michael Douglas's mum. And again, she's a, a very vulnerable, confused person. She believes that he's going to um, work every day. And where has he been the last few days? But she's very much on the side of Michael Douglas, um, that he's been treated badly by his wife and the system as well. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sympathetic. And and she even she but even she admits there's something slightly wrong with him because she said sometimes uh, I, I sit down and eat with him and he doesn't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was wondering when I, when I watched that whether they go down the lines of um, Douglas's problems are caused by his upbringing mm. through his kind of the parenting that he's received, but that isn't the case either, is it? it it's not the circumstances of uh, his upbringing, which was would have been quite an easy way or quite an easy get out, wouldn't it? Yeah. And, it and in between this scene, it flicks to the golf course where he's walking, <laughs> he's cutting across a golf course and you've got the two golfers there. One of them's pretty easy going. The other one is a real stuck up asshole that get out, get off my golf course. Like you've got no reason to be here. And his mate says, no, just give him a chance. He says he's crossing the golf course. He'll be gone in a minute. But no, the guy still isn't satisfied and he hits a golf ball, which almost hits Douglas. <laughs> and once again, Douglas is kind of the victim initially. He's the, yeah. He's and the then, victim for about 30 seconds. Yes, and then he shoots the golf. He shoots, uh, obviously, the uh, the uh, golf car, oh. buggy, whatever, which then goes into the water. Um, was anyone driving it? Or did... Uh, I? I I never paid attention enough that he shoots no, it. No one was. No, and it just, yeah, but no when he shoots it, it, it just starts. It's like it's like it yeah. wants to protect itself, and then commit kind of like just ends up drowning itself in one yeah, of the local it, ponds. It's as if the, the brakes go on it and it rolls down the fairway yeah. uh, into a lake, and then, and, and, and then stuck up man has a heart attack, and he goes, <laughs> yeah. "Where's your pills?" Over there, he's like, "Oh well, that's quite unfortunate." Yeah, he says, "Yeah, they're in the buggy, just as you see the buggy sinking into a lake." And, but Douglas then becomes the villain of standing in front of him, mocking him whilst he's having a heart attack. Mm. And uh, I said, oh, I guess you're going to die then. And he stands there and watches him. Um, well, nearly die. die. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and then you hear the sirens going. And the next minute, Douglas is in uh, this large house where there's a family in a swimming pool. Um, and it, it's kind of really, he almost crosses another line where you think, He's going to take the child hostage because um, you hear the sirens, which are going to the golf course, um, like the ambulances and everything else. That you learn that it's a family, like the caretaker of this massive mansion, um, and in disgust that he's told that all of this wealth, all of this luxury, has been bought through plastic surgery, which again he can't understand of people not being happy about who they are, but and paying through the nose for these these surgeries and these implants and everything else. Um, and again, it kind of reflects fake society and the luxury of society and the necessity for perfection, isn't it? Yeah. And how, and how the other half live. And he does, but then what you say, he nearly crosses the line, but the interesting thing is he nearly crosses the line, but then he doesn't and he stops himself. Yeah. And I, I, would it, I think it's just because purely it's a girl. Yeah. And, and, and he recognises his daughter, daughter, and she's scared. He's got the blood on him as well. Um, yeah, and he's like, oh, okay, fair enough then. Um, and, and then he but lets him go on their way. Again, you have sympathy for Douglas, don't you? You do. And it's also one of the more a really tense scenes, because you're thinking, what the hell is he going to do? Because he's so unhinged at this point. Yeah, it goes from... And it's just, again, it's so, so clever. And on so many levels, you go from him being a murderer to him potentially kidnapping this kid um because he can hear the police sirens to then him um like looking after her and worrying that the blood on her he may have caused it and it, and he come, becomes really upset and concerned about the girl 
then she says no you're bleeding it's it's come from you um and it's just the the, the mix of emotions within the space of a couple of minutes is so fast and it's it's so good that you can feel sorry for someone who's murdered a couple of people and you wish him all the best and hope he's okay and you really do feel sorry for him to wanting him dead knowing that he's broken the law and that if he faces another situation where people don't conform to normal life and orderly society that chances are he'll kill them which is is really really good i mean again he, he, the next scene he goes to a phone box and someone else wants to make a phone call and he says well this isn't your phone box so he gets a machine gun out and shoots the phone box to bits yes so does. no one else can use it yeah which is which is not particularly good, but yes, he does. Yeah, it, it's just really, really, really clever. Um, so he, they know from the, the reports in from the members of the public that um, this same gentleman matching that description um, is travelling through this direction, and then from the information from the mum that it's going to be Venice Beach that they're going to, and it's really, really sinister that he calls up from Venice Beach saying that our shop that we used to go to, the ice cream parlour is now some kind of bizarre that um, sells a lot of rubbish and he still wants to get a present. So she realizes that how close he's he is. Yeah. How close he is. So she leaves home and it's, it's a really, really tense. It all starts to become quite tense now because you know, from what he said that potentially he will kill her. Yes. Um, and you don't know what he's going to do to his daughter, but even though he says he loves his daughter because he's not actually had any contact you don't know if he's just going to kill them both because it's a case of if I can't have you, no one else can have you. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And that's essentially, I think what the last thing is, but then he goes into the house, the daughter, uh, runs out. Luckily, um, you know, they, they literally just make out as he's pretty much going in one door. They, they're coming out another and, and, and run down. And then obviously we see Robert Duvall's character going towards us, uh, as well with, with, with Sandra. And then Michael Douglas's character, he sits down and, and it's kind of sad in a way. He's watching all these, um, initially happy movies with them mm. as a family but then you kind of get a hint of what it was like um she's crying uh, one of the birth one of the birthdays in the shot yeah that she they he brought her rocking horse and she clearly doesn't yeah. want to go on it but he's like no i bought it for her you've got to make it go on and he's trying to force this happy family scenario which all looks very horrible and awkward and controlling on, on obviously you know even on camera which which gives us more of an <clears throat> a more of an insight into um into a, what their relationship was like. Yeah. And why she's scared of yeah. it. And it's really well done because when he's watching it, when he is having a go at her, and bearing in mind she looks about th- maybe at the very much, the most three years old and she's um, a lot older now, um, but how many years she had suffered this violence for, um, well, this threat of violence that has hung over. And he, he actually, for the first time when he's watched it, he does look ashamed of the way he's spoken to her. Did you get that impression or not? Yes. When he's when he when and he's when he's watching it, it's like he sees it hmm. through her eyes, and he's like, "Oh, he, yeah." And it, it's like he kind of like realizes where he's messed up. And that's what it feels yeah, like, anyway. Yeah, and it's it's done. It's really really clever that he does realize what kind of husband or what kind of father he's been um, to both of them, and from there. Um, she mentions on the or video or he mentions about going to the pier. Um, it's her favorite place to go. So he naturally assumes that will be kind of the haven of where she'll run being at Venice beach so close. So he, he runs down there. And in the meantime, uh, Duval and, uh, his partner go in there. Um, 
and you hear a gunshot and he goes into the house but by now his gun's been taken away because he is going to retire so from going from a, a desk jockey that people just ridicule and mock um you he goes into a house unarmed knowing that someone's fired a gun and again just before that before they do leave they have the the scene where duval kind of there's complete redemption of duval's character as in they get a strippergram in and one of the characters says do you not like women he says well you should meet his wife and he knocks him out doesn't yes. he yeah and that's the first um you know thumbs up really essentially I, 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 we're giving to him because he he knocks him out and then carries him walking and, and obviously goes out eventually to be the hero but this is the beginning this is the, the beginning of the end for both um, uh, the beginning of the beginning of obviously Robert Duvall's new life and the beginning of the end in a way because they're on the same path but they start at different ends of the path you, you know yeah uh, um, yeah um, and uh, what a nice moment lovely payoff yeah it's absolutely brilliant so the um, the family are on the end of the pier and Michael Douglas turns up um, and it's quite interesting you obviously see the fear in uh, Barbara Hirsch's face that he's actually found her. Um, but he's, and again, from that, you can see he's got nothing but love for Adele, his daughter, um, and that he kisses her. And, and, and it's, she doesn't know the fear. Uh, and she's probably been hidden to the, the threats of oh, violence. Yeah. Which is really sad involved. in a way, but yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And it's not, it's kind of normally the case of that, that the children are completely unaware, which makes it even worse for, um, the victim, be it male or female. But, he's cuddling her and telling her how much he loves her. Um, and she really is happy to see dad. She even calls it out as he's running towards her. Yes. Which, yeah, which is like a horrifying moment. And then, and then he obviously has the gun and everyone runs away. And it's just, uh, it's just those three initially on the, um, on the, uh, you know, you know, on the, well, uh, what do you call it now? I forgot pier on, yeah. on the pier. Yeah. And then, and then you're thinking, what's going to happen? Then you suddenly hear Robert DeVell's character. He's a, uh, moseyed up moseyed up out of sight suddenly appears yeah and he's now taken um his partner's gun so he's now armed um and it's really interesting the way duval deals with it he just talks to him um he talks kind of bollocks essentially doesn't he, he talks about the sea being contaminated that he used to come here and fish with his dad yes um <clears throat> and uh, i think he's just trying to occupy him and get the the children away or get the daughter away uh, and he also opens his jacket so the wife can see that he's a, he's got a gun and he's a police officer, um, not just some nutty member of public. Uh, and, and it's uh, that when I first watched it, I honestly thought they were going to go ahead with the the last day trope of Robert Duval was going to die. I don't know what you. I, I thought I thought that were. at first when I first watched it, and, I, and I'm so glad they didn't in the end because I think this film it was it was getting so depressing in a way it kind of needed a happy ending. Um, yeah, uh, definitely did. Yeah, it needed a bit, of, a bit of uplifting and hope towards the end. Um, and then obviously, um, uh, Michael Douglas puts obviously his gun down, essentially, and then um, mm. uh, the daughter's there, and it all happened very, very quickly. Where the wife runs off, Robert Duvall basically takes control of as much as you can do of the situation, and as Michael Douglas yeah. up against the pier, where Mark, where Douglas says, "I've got a gun." Now, at this point, did you the first time you watched it, did you know that Michael Douglas's character defends? Did not have a gun. I was like, he doesn't have a gun. The only thing he's got, I thought at the time, and luckily I was right, uh, was the uh, flick knife he's put in his pocket, the butter knife. Or yeah, yeah. I mean, you do see 
the, the him holding the water pistol whilst he's watching the home yes. videos. But I, I really, I thought possibly he was armed. But the, the way he's talking, having kind of watched it repeatedly, you can see that he's kind of given up on everything he now. Isn't he? He's yeah, he's seen his daughter. He's given her a present. Um, that was his goal for the day. Um, but he's again, he doesn't take full responsibility for what he's done because when he's spoken to about going to prison, he's like, well, why should I go to prison? What have I done wrong? It's just not fair on society. You should see what it's like out there. And he even says to, to his wife, um, that is, it's evil out there. It's absolute poison. I've walked across the city and I've met different people and been in different situations. <laughs> he's kind of got a point with that. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he's, it's as if he's now seeing society for what it is. Um, and he's actually given up, but we all kind of face for those situations every single day. Yes. But we don't act like it and we don't give up. So, uh, it's, it's just quite interesting of his kind of resolution about everything to the, to everyone else's. But yeah, he says, right after three, I'm going to pull a gun out and I'm going to shoot you. And Duval says, well, no, it doesn't have to end like that. He says, well, wait, okay. He goes, it's either going to end if I pull a gun out and you'll be dead or you draw as well. Um, so you do see it in a kind of slow motion and Duval shoots Douglas who then, um, gets what he get the ending he wants. Yeah. Um, and falls back into the sea and he's dead and it's all over. But it's nice when his partner you do find is alive. Is alive, yeah. Robert um, Duvall, yeah I mean, Robert Duvall, yeah, yeah. He, he, he's, and then uh, after telling his wife to shut up as well, which is quite an important yeah. point. Which, yeah. Um, and, uh, and once again, we covered punching the uh, other guy in the face. The captain's there and says, oh, my man basically <laughs> saved everybody. Yeah. And he tells his captain on live TV pretty much where to go. Yeah, he says, fuck you very much, yes. doesn't he? Yeah, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, and the conversation he has, um, he says, tells Barbara Hershey, just let her enjoy her birthday and uh, tell her tomorrow. And he sits down with her and she it's so sweet because knowing that he's lost his daughter and that they're of similar age, it's just so lovely at the end when he sits down next to her and she says, well, what's your name? And he says, my name's Mud. And she goes, well, and she laughs, and that's not your name. Yes. And he says, it will be when my wife finds out I'm still a cop. Yeah, and, yes. And it's just such a, a lovely ending because he's, the way the characters have gone in different directions to the collapse of Michael Douglas's, to the rise of Robert Duval's, of he's taken his own career in his own hands, and his own life in his own hands, and doing what he wants to do, taking charge, that he's still going to be a police officer, um, which is something he loves. And it, it's just such a great ending because from there, it then goes into the house showing just some of the rest of the home video that's playing. Which is, which is quite sad. Yeah. And it's just the mixture of emotions of finally he's, he's doing something he wants to do. And, and to a certain extent, Michael Douglas has done what he wanted to do. His goal yeah. being seeing his daughter, um, be it to his demise and he's dead, but it's, it's just so, it's just so clever. It's it's written so well and it's done so well um, by all the characters. But yeah. So, I mean, I guess best bit, worst bit. The best bit, I thought they, the whole film is really, really good. I can't deny that. What I, what I am going to say is the worst bit was uh, questioning whether 
I was fully entertained watching this film. I really, really, I really, really enjoyed the film. It left me, it left me with a mix of emotions. Um, but it's not, it's not the kind of film though, because I find it quite depressing in a way that I would want to pick up and watch all the time, which is not a negative thing about the film. Um, it's just, it's how I feel, but I can't deny that it's really, really, it is a, a really good film and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm giving it myself a four out of five. Um, and I'd recommend it to anyone to watch. It's really, really interesting. I don't know whether I feel a, a sense of enjoyment once I've finished watching the film because I find it yeah. slightly depressing and, and, you know, and, and the way, and, and, and it, any film, and it makes you think, um, you know, it's, it's more, not quite a documentary, but it's more, it's more like, almost like a dissertation type piece on the way society was in the nineties and even today. So, so I don't want to necessarily say there's any worse bits, the divine intervention, maybe if you want to nitpick. Um, but that's just a nitpicky thing. And, and, um, essentially the, my favorite part though, is, uh, Michael Douglas's character, the journey he makes compared to the journey Robert Duvall makes, as we mentioned on, on on the same path, but start at different ends of it, which is really, which is really good. And the fact that the film does kind of end, fortunately, slightly hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. I I completely agree. It's, um, I mean, I found it, it's really, really strange because you say you kind of, you find it entertaining, but I think more so, I think you find it interesting. That's than probably a better way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. Because back in the, rightly so, the way economy was um, back in 93, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, hasn't really changed much um, in 2017. And you're still faced with the same frustrations. And I, I think that's really helped the film, that it, it hasn't um, dated at all um, in all these years. But yeah, it's. I think the it's it is enjoyable, and yes. I think the development of the characters is really enjoyable, and I think it sometimes it's the, the humour is very dark, such as um, like the phone box and such as the the whammy burger, um, and you can relate to a lot of it. Um, who's been in those situations? And I think it's just it's written so well, and it's directed really really well. And I mean, Douglas said. I mean, this film was struggling for funding. It was nearly never made. Um, because, he took a pay cut, uh, you're saying, did he? I don't know. Yeah, yeah he took a, oh, yeah, wow. a pay cut so it could be funded. And Douglas said it was the best um, script that he's ever read. Uh, oh, dogs, be quiet. And, um, <laughs> Which is why he took the film, I, I imagine. <laughs> and he, yeah, he, he said that he wants to get on board in it and it's the best script he's ever read. Um and if it wasn't for Michael Douglas jumping on ball, being such a big name that, I mean, the film would have never been made, which would have been a, an absolute tragedy. But I, th I think, yeah, I, I kind of agree with your worst parts. It's very, very similar, um, be it there any minor. But, yeah, I'd give it um, I'd give it a four and a half out of five. But I just Ooh. think it's I think it's a really, really good film. And it's bearing in mind that there's there's only kind of possibly three main characters um being duval barbara hershey and michael douglas that the film moves so much and it, the swing of emotions towards these characters i think is absolutely brilliant but yeah i'd recommend it to, to absolutely anyone and I, I think it's really really good film completely probably the, the best one that um joel schumacher's done wow. easily. and there we go boys and girls that's it um i don't know what we would do next i'm sure i know we're uh, going to be doing the defenders at some point i'm sure 
there'll be another vote on on, on the Twitter because that's that's seemingly going quite well. So 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 yeah. I guess keep your eye on that yeah. one. Yeah, thanks for everyone who voted. Um, as you say, it's always nice to do a film that we know that people really want to listen to. So it's quite nice. We'll get a, a few films and put list them up and uh, see which films that people want to do. But we, as, as you say, we're going to do the Defenders very, very soon. Um, I imagine the next break we get, we'll do the Defenders because there is a lot to talk about with that. Um, but yeah, I'll smash a, a film up on, on, or three films on Twitter and uh, see what people say. I mean, if you want to, Follow us. Is that the film real cast? Um, constantly posting on there all the time. Um, of what we're going to do and previous podcasts as well. If you want to listen to anything, we're on iTunes or any kind of Android format where you can listen to podcasts. Um, you can just click on that and uh, subscribe to us. And obviously, we're on Facebook at the Film Real Cast as well. But yeah, I think that's it. So yeah. it'll be Defenders and whatever film next. I really, really don't know. I mean, at some point. It will be Harry Potter because um, I'm desperate to do that at some point um, just because I know you love it and it's just going to be great to destroy it. But yeah, so that is it. That is the Film Real Cast podcast. Thanks to everyone who's downloaded. It's been a really good month and it always surprises both of us, doesn't it? How it many does. downloads we get? Especially a couple of idiots like us just talking absolute bollocks. It's absolutely amazing. So thank you everyone who's downloaded. It's it's a real surprise and we're very, very grateful. You're but right. yeah, thanks very much. I hope you enjoyed our uh, review of Falling Down. Um, if you watch it and you don't feel the same, let us know. It'd be really interesting to know. Um, or if you think James is just speaking shit, let us know. I'm always interested in slagging James off. Thank you very much. So, <laughs> thanks for listening and uh, take care, boys and girls. <laughs>